Your business is an asset that can support a thriving life. I believe this, and I'm committed to making this a reality for every entrepreneur and business owner who listens to this podcast. The Women Thriving in Business podcast was created with you in mind. Whether you're thinking about entrepreneurship or you've been in business for a while, this show has inspiration, information, and advice that you can use to thrive in business. Women Thriving in Business features candid and unscripted conversations with entrepreneurs, business experts, authors, and academics who can contribute to your business success. I talk with leaders who have built thriving organizations and who are willing to share both the positive and challenging realities of the entrepreneurial journey. My name is Nikki Rogers. I am a transformation strategist and the host of the Women Thriving in Business podcast. I work with women leaders to develop the mindset, strategies, and relationships necessary to thrive in business. Join me and your fellow thrivers each week on this journey of discovery and success. Welcome thrivers to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is Shiloh Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of Compliant. So welcome, Shiloh. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into it. Tell us all about Compliant and what got you started on your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So Compliant is a desktop tax tech product. So we specialize in technology, not services. I know people get confused. Like, are you an accountant? Will you do my taxes? No, we won't do anything. It's the technology that supports you. And we basically help small businesses get from confusion to compliance in just a few clicks. We focus on helping them understand what tax types apply to their business structure based on where they're doing business, how they're doing business. We cover everything from business licenses and police permits all the way up to federal and state income tax. So we try to focus on the full cycle of tax for a small business. I got into this. I actually spent the first 12 years of my career in corporate tax accounting. My bachelor's degree and master's degree both are in accounting and tax respectively. And so I spent 12 years on the corporate side of tax, meaning I worked for in-house corporations versus large CPA firms. And what we did was manage the entire tax process for all the subsidiaries and parent company for these large corporations. So picture like the Gap, for example, they decide to get into a new line of business. They would come to us, their tax team, and say, we're going to start selling mops. And we would like you to tell us how (laughs) we have to pay or cover tax for mops according to where all of our stores are located. Do we have to pay sales tax in this state or do we have to get compliant with mop, mop compliance in this state? And we would do all of the research, the tax research, the legal tax research. We would do the prep planning, tax calendar building, and we'd go apply for those accounts and then maintain them for the company and their lines of business. And so when I left corporate and I started my own tax practice, I was just thinking like, who is doing that process for small businesses? Who is determining based on what you do, what tax types you're required to pay? What I quickly found out is no one is doing that actually. People are just sort of shrugging their shoulders and waiting for the notices to come in. But the downside about notices is you have to manage the penalty and interest that come along with that because by the time you get a notice, you're already late. Mm -hmm. So we stepped in to build product around that and be able to help small businesses sort of manage the hard stuff a lot faster. Okay. 
And so as you were thinking about going out on your own, so you started off in corporate and then going out on your own. And fun fact, I think one of my first internships was in corporate tax department of a large multinational company. And I ended up going into internal audit. So I always tell people I'm a recovering accountant. So (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to go the CPA route. I was more interested in how organizations manage their finances. But as you were thinking about going out on your own, what really propelled you to say, you know, I want to go start my own tax practice even before you being a tech founder? What was compelling you to go out on your own? Actually, something you do. Oh, it used to do audit. Okay. <laughs> so actually I worked for a company that basically did home rentals. So they would buy up all the real estate in certain areas. They would renovate it and rent them out in mass, like 30, 40, 50,000 homes. And so when they would rent these homes, they would also rent all of the hardware and some of the fixtures, some of the furniture on the inside of the homes. And so there's like rental tax in some states. So Texas specifically has a tax on items that live inside a home that is rented out. And so we participated in an audit And at the beginning of the assessment, the audit amount was $4 million or something. And I was able to find some loopholes in tax code and went back, like went through the process. It was like six to nine months of just back and forth with the auditor and just tracking and tracing and doing all the stuff you do in audit. And at the end of the audit, the bill ended up being $350,000 or something. And my boss just was like, good job. (laughs) I was like, what? Where's my bonus? I don't get a gift card. I get some flowers, anything. And I just quickly realized, first, I'm good at this. Second, why am I not doing this for myself? I could have had some kind of fee structure such that I charged the customer some portion of their savings, or I could have had a fee structure that would allow me to actually earn money based on the work I was doing versus just a set salary. I'm a Christian, this is my faith belief. And so I was hearing all these messages about, you know, one can tell you like what you're worth, that that's between you, your effort and the creator. And I was like, all right, I'm going to test this. And so I just jumped and I said, if I'm going to give myself six months and if I can't fill my income, I had built a little bit of savings. If I can't fill or supplement the income that I'm losing working in corporate, then I'll go back to work. Great thing about working in taxes, you can always find a job. It's very undersured market. They're all retiring. Very few people apply. Very few minorities apply. So I never had a problem finding a job. And so I knew, okay, fine. At the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to work. So I gave myself six months and not even a month later, I had not only made up my income, I had doubled it. And so I was like, oh yeah, not doing this anymore. (laughs) No corporate for me. That's amazing. You talked about seeing this gap in the market. Again, taking this leap of saying, I'm actually going to create a tech enabled business, right? What spurred you or even said, yes, you can do this. And what was some of the, I guess, encouraging signs that you encountered yeah. along the way as you were making this? About tech. Yeah, yeah. I think I've always had a passion for technology, a product of the tech innovation. I think Google started when I was like a freshman in high school or something. I've always been centered around the cell phone started to bubble up when I was in high school. And so like tech just lived around me constantly. And I was always amateur by innovation in some degree. So every new thing that was coming out, even if I couldn't buy it, I just wanted to learn about it. And I realized I've always had just energy for that. And even to the one point, I went to the gym five times and I was like, I'm going to make a fitness app. I did not make a fitness app, but I knew something was there that was calling me to try this. When the issue was so blaring as I was starting to support small businesses in my tax practice, I was like, Oh yeah, I could productize the service offering I had when I was in corporate. Not only can I productize it, but I actually think this could be really big. 
So that somebody else asked me this question recently. It's so funny. I wasn't validation seeking. As soon as I had the idea, I tried it. I don't spend a lot of time meandering around like, oh, should I do this? Should I not do it? Once I'm like, oh, you should try it. I just do it. And then I let the chips fall where they may. I don't know if it's faith or crazy or I don't know what it is, but I feel like if nothing else, I'm going to try this thing. And if it doesn't work out, I walked away with a great set of experiences, maybe a bigger network. Maybe I learned a lot. Maybe I can put this into something else. I heard someone say in a message, even if the thing you're doing isn't the thing, it'll be the thing that leads to the thing. So in my mind, I'm cutting myself off from that process or the opportunity to, to get to the next thing if I don't try. So I didn't spend a lot of time thinking like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this thing. I was just like, I'll try it. I mean, before that, I'd made a fitness app. I went to the gym three times or something. And I was like, I'm going to make a fitness app. I knew nothing about fitness. I had never even taken a kinesiology class. And all of a sudden, I was about to do this thing. Some sense jumped up into me and was like, hold on. You need some subject matter expertise a little. But then I got back to like, okay, if I could do that and I had zero experience, I know I could do this. Push the gas. Let's go. Oh my goodness. Is that something that you always had in childhood? Is that something that has all that been your personality throughout childhood or? I think so. Yeah. Very much just a doer. I think when I was a kid, I was scared a lot and very shy. Afraid to talk to people, afraid to be noticed. I have always been very tall. I'm 5'11", so it's pretty tall for a woman. I've been 5'11 since I was fifth grade. And so you kind of cower because people are always like, Ah, this big woman. And I was always very shy. Mm -hmm. And I just remember when I got to the point where I was starting to get into my own femininity and confidence that I was like, oh yeah, I'm not ever limiting myself to my own fear. I started to connect the dots very early, like middle school. Mm -hmm. I started to connect the dots around the only limits you're putting on your life are the ones you're putting on your life and not the ones that people are putting on you. The narrative says that someone else is telling you you can't do it, but that's not really true. It's really just you. Right. Even when people around you are saying you can't do it, those are just words. The effort comes from you, not them. So I started to connect that dot very early and I just like, like yeah, no, sure. I'll try. I was always the one. I was like, oh, Shiloh will do it. Shiloh will do it. Let's go. <laughs> I love that. You're like charging ahead. Oh, you Always. said, oh, let's go. You will be like, tell Shiloh, she'll try it. I will try I had my oldest daughter when I was really young and one of my family members was like, you are failing at life and your kids deserve so much more than what you're giving them and you're not going to be anything. And I get why they were doing it. It wasn't in truth. They were doing it to like stake me because I was making some really bad decisions. And as a result, I learned very quickly that taught me, oh, not only am I going to do it, but I'm going to be phenomenal at it just to show you that I am not to be played with. That was enough gas in my back to be like, oh, no, you got this. Yeah. I guess that fire, right? That fuel on the fire. Is that what helped you start making decisions that were more future oriented, I'm going to say? Oh, that was certainly that event. Yeah, I was a raving wreck. While I have found some spirituality and balance now, oh, no, I was a hell yeah and a heathen and all of the above. And everybody in my life was like, oh, she's either going to be dead or in jail or a combination of the two. I was wild. I was like late teens, early 20s. I was a baby. Mm-hmm. And when he said this to me, I think he was stepping in as the representative for the family, like the intervention representative. Like if we don't get her to do something different, this is going to go really bad, really fast. Right. And when he stood in that space and said that, even to this day, when I bring it up, he's always like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even remember saying that. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? It changed my whole life. But that was absolutely that moment for me. Certainly from that second was like, wait a minute, is that what's happening? Am I ruining 
my potential or whatever, my future or my children. First of all, you are never going to doubt me ever, ever, ever. I don't care who you are, what you think. <laughs> I am going to prove you wrong. And that absolutely was that moment. From then on, I was like head down in school. I finished college, got my master's. I started working full time. I just put rubber to the road and I was like, there's no way. This isn't going to be my story. I love that. Folks are providing tough love and then they're like, oh yeah, you're right. And you were like, hell no, that ain't <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> That's not me. That energy is probably what has helped propelled you in this business that often is so tough. So when you think about your time as an entrepreneur, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face? Yeah. So I am in the tech industry and I am also a venture-backed company, which for those of you listening that don't know much about tech, venture-backed just means that venture capitalist firms have invested money in you because they believe that you have an idea that will become massive. They're always looking to invest in the next big thing, the next Stripe, the next Facebook meta, the next Google, whatever. And so when you take money in from these folks, they expect massive results very quickly. And I think some of the early mistakes, there's so much happening so quickly. So I had the idea for Compliant summer of 2019, and I had a product at the door by April 2020, and then raised my first round of funding by October 2020. So you can see how fast things are happening. It takes people a year just to like decide if they're going to do a business. I was like, decision, the product to customers in minutes. And so when you're moving so fast, you have to make decisions really quickly. And sometimes those decisions, you don't know if they're the right ones or not. You'd hope they are and you advise or get advice from your group of trusted advisors and mentors and other ideas about the decisions you're making. And as you grow, that list of advisors gets bigger and stronger. But while you're young, you're not really knowing if the decisions you're making are the right decisions. And I can tell you more times than not, I have made not great decisions. That hindsight, I would have been like, ah, I should have did this thing differently. Or, ah, I should have made this different decision. And I try not to get too hung up in the sadness of the result of the decision, but instead using it as a lesson, like, okay, this is what I did. That wasn't great. Here's how I fixed it. One area I know that really stood out was like, there are lots of nuanced ethics around raising funding. There's communication expectations. There's order of operations expectations that there's no book on this, especially as a minority, especially as a woman. You're just jumping off of the cliff into this new thing and you're hoping that everyone is okay with how you're doing things. I'm used to operating solo. I'm a solo founder. At the first point when I raised money, I didn't have any employees. So I was head down focused on what I needed to do. And one person that was my investor was like, actually, you need to be telling people blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> I had to backtrack and apologize. So I was like, I'm just getting to work. So a little bit of that naivete could be seen through as not great decisions, but I try to see all of that struggle as lesson and steps up all of life in my opinion is perspective and I could see it as I failed or I didn't do this thing or I messed up or I didn't get enough customers or we didn't hit the milestone or I could see it as we're further along than what we were every day we're learning something even if we had to fire someone hiring is a huge huge lesson I could teach a class on hiring and just each thing is like something that could go greater might not but the result still is I learned something. And that to me is unbelievably valuable. I try to keep perspective. I think a lot of people have a fear of making a mistake, right? Or it's going to be the wrong decision. Yeah. Is it just through practice that you get over that fear? Or how do you talk to yourself and be like, you know what, mm -hmm. I just got to make this decision? Back to probably what my innate operational functionality is. It's just, I don't spend too much time on 
the thought around premeditating the decision. Mm -hmm. As it comes, I just go. I make decisions. And even if I'm not doing the thing, I'm gathering arsenal (laughs) to be able to do the thing. So when I was launching Compliant, I didn't release a product the day that I incorporated. But the day I had the idea, I penciled down some drawings on a line sheet of paper. The next day I went and incorporated. I don't give myself, and I do that because if I spend too much time, oh man, what if this doesn't work? Oh man, what if this already exists? Then I'm not going to do it. I don't even give myself the chance to go there with myself. The second I had the idea, I knew I had to incorporate because I was thinking about it midday. All night I was sketching ideas and writing things down. All night. I don't even think I slept. I just was writing things. We could do this and we could do that and it could have this and it could have that. And if you've ever had an idea about something that spark, the innovation, that moment, fuel in the best way because you're so amped up and excited about like what that thing is, that idea you have. I just didn't want to lose that energy. So I was just pinning ideas all night. The morning came, I just like hopped on legal Zoom or whatever it was, Stripe Alice or something. I set up the corporation. I did everything, got a business bank account. By noon, I was like a full company. <laughs> so I didn't give myself a chance to doubt myself. I love that <laughs> because I know, you know, so many people have the idea for so long and they yeah. really talk themselves out of it. Yeah. They strangle the idea. But I love yeah. that you were like, oh no, next day yeah. I'm in this. Exactly. I love that. What would you say is one of the accomplishments that you're most proud of? Oh, gosh, there are a few. Some of them are related to compliance. Most of them are not. I am very proud of getting a bachelor's degree. I just went to state school in California. The state school program is called, there are two state programs. It's University of California and then Cal State University. So University of California is the big brother. Cal State University is the little brother. (laughs) I went to a Cal State University and I was a single mom. I had three kids. I had all three of those kids before I turned 22. I worked very much full time. Every single day, my life was like, get up, breakfast, get the kids to school, go to work, pick them up, get them to my mom's, study for an hour, maybe run to school, go to school for three or four hours, get them, go home, go to bed. They go to bed. I sit up and study all night. I did that for years. So many times I wanted to quit. So many times I was like, I don't think I can do this. I just don't physically have the stamina. I'm not going to make it if I fail the class. I got a C. I was so discouraged. I'm not going to be able to do that. I used to call my mom crying. Mom, I don't know how to get through this. Mind you, my mom has so many degrees. It's unbelievable. You could wallpaper a wall with the amount of degrees she has. And she's just like, keep going. Don't quit. And I finished. And my life immediately changed. Almost mm-hmm. immediately. And... I am so proud of myself for not quitting. I watched people all around me not finish. Everybody's like, oh, college is a speak paper. Not for me. College is commitment. College is consistency. College is dedication. College is finishing when everybody thinks that you should just not and don't do this anymore. Just work a basic job. I couldn't stop. Even if it didn't result in anything different in terms of career, I had to finish. Mm. And doing that just was such a pound on the back. From that, I was juiced. After that, in my mind, there's nothing I can't do. Yeah, as you think about being in spaces in the tech space where everyone looks different than you, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's coming from a different paradigm, perspective, background, your background than yourself. But where do you find those folks who are going to support you in this journey? That can be very tough. 
when you're one of one, when you walk into a room, people already yeah. have some preconceived notions about you, right? And that's, that's not your sure. issue to take on. But what kind of keeps you going and keeps you shining? I mean, you've been very successful. What path have you followed? You talked about being spiritual, being ordered by, or have there been some earthly angels who have sure. supported you on the way? I think it's a blend. I think there's always fire and passion you have within yourself that pulls you forward, even if no one's there to cheer you on. And that I think lives just innately within me. And then there is obviously things you can't control. You hope will line up the right way. And that's where my prayer line comes in. Let's do this. I don't know what it's about to be, but hopefully you can make it out of no way. But the people that show up in your life in different ways, and even those relationships showed up in ways that I didn't expect or ask for. I wasn't looking for a mentor. And then all of a sudden, a mentor figure would show up in a really great way. Or even when I was thinking about how I was filling my cap table, the cap table is basically your capitalization table or how you receive investment and all the folks that are around the table that have invested in you, that goes on a table with a list of equity and who owns what shares. And so how I filled that cap table even has been an army of support. And I think that's one of the ways you can arm yourself and protect yourself and provide a champion list of advisors and supporters is by who you bring in as your investors and partners, who you think about you're going to be your business partners, who you think about you're going to take investment from. All of those things matter so much because they're your founding board off the table, right? So my partner runs companies, but he doesn't have investors. And so to me, I'm his founding board. And so he'll call me and ask me about this employee or this idea or this person. And sometimes you just have to fill your community with people that are in the same vein as you. They don't always have to be way up here. I think Issa Rae made this statement that was really beautiful. Like, deal with people that are around you. And those people end up becoming the sounding board because they're in the trenches with you. They're struggling too. Companies that are at your same stage, right? If you're a pre-seed stage type company, getting around other pre-seed companies, everybody's always looking to do the next thing, you know, to jump up 20 levels. But if you look around on your level, you'll see some people that can be really supportive to your idea and what you're doing that just serves as sounding boards. And then also as you grow, if you're in the venture space, who you take money from matters a lot. I know as Black people or women or whatever, minorities, it's very hard to get investment. I am one of a very few number of Black women that have received venture capital. In fact, there are less than 200 Black women ever in the history of this country that have raised more than a million dollars. It's very small. I know them all. We're in a group. It's very small. And with that being said, there aren't a lot of us. So once we do finally get in that position where someone's interested in investing, you feel anxious. Like I should take every dollar because they're offering it to me and who knows when I'll get the next opportunity. But if we could reposition that power and present yourself in such a way that like you should be lucky to invest in me, then you get to reposition how you decide who you're going to take money from. Because we have been on the wrong side of so many deals in desperation or not sure how we're going to make it to the next thing. And sometimes things need to die. You don't have to take desperation money to keep it alive. Sometimes things just need to die so that the next thing can be born. So I just say, be very careful about who you take money from. Be very careful about who you partner with. I have seen so many small businesses, partnerships, best friends that go into business together, people that you have known forever going to business together and they end up being terrible business partners. Just be really careful around who you decide to go into business with who you decide to start business with or bring into your business bubble, if they're not providing really valuable content or valuable contributions in some way, then you might want to just consider them a friend, not an advisor or a partner. Mm -hmm. So evaluate that for certain. Speaking of people just taking on 
the wrong partners. What would you say causes people to do that? And I ask that because I think a business partnership is like a marriage, but it's much harder to get out of. Divorce is an option if you get married, right? But untangling a business relationship seems to be even more onerous than untangling a marriage. So What have you seen in your dealings, either with small businesses or Mm -hmm. even folks taking on investors? What is it that causes people to get into those bad deals, bad relationships? I think people start things with the best of intentions. In tech, a similarity would be like a co-founder relationship where you're a founder and you get in business with your co-founder and together you all raise money and go and build this tech company. Or maybe you take investment from someone who seems like a really nice person and they seem like they could be helpful. There are two things that we are at a disadvantage around when we're thinking about partnerships or co-founders or investors. More often than not, we have never been to that level before. More often than not, we've never been successful business owners. More often than not, we've never raised money. More often than not, we've never taken investment from anyone. More often than not, we've never started a tech company. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have that framework to start with, you're evaluating your relationships from very skewed classes. You're evaluating it from a sense of like, I've never been here before. I think you could be a good partner. I get along with you. Let's try it. You evaluate business relationship based on how much you like the person. But the problem with that is when it comes to business, it doesn't matter if y'all are besties. It doesn't matter if you like the same shoes. None of that matters because what needs to happen is the business needs to go forward. So I've seen this on all sides of the fence where one person will spend their time doing most of the work to keep the business going. And the other partner will be like doing their own thing off to the side. And then when it comes time to split the revenue, the partner that did all the work is feeling slighted. Like, wait, you didn't do what I did. Why do you get as much as I got? And they're like, we're a partnership. This is what you agreed to. And then the person's like, well, what about me? And now the relationship is falling apart because what we used to evaluate them as a business partner was like not things that matter. What matters in business is having someone who has complementary skill sets to you. So if you're really good at legal, having someone that's really good at accounting makes for a great team because now you both together can get a lot done. Even if you're not going to have coffee every night and they're not your bestie, you know you're lined up with someone that's getting great work. If you think about some of the past times you worked in some business or corporate or something, the people you worked the best with were the most productive. You wouldn't have never went shopping with those people. But they got crap done. And you was like, I like working with her. She gets stuff done. That's how we should be evaluating business partners. Not like someone you like or you like the way they look or you get along. (laughs) Getting along is nice, but it doesn't make for a successful business partner when you need someone that has complementary skill sets and someone that sees the vision similarly to the way you see it. That way there's no argument about the direction of the company, which is why I see co-founders breaking up all the time. One person will want to go this way, that person will want to go this way, and now they're split. Versus, I see the vision the way you see the vision, let's both go. Mm. The other thing I've seen that has been really tricky is sometimes people oversell their skills, which, hey, they get to you make it. The problem is they never make it. So they oversell their skills, then it comes to get the work done, and the other partner is like, what are you doing? I thought you knew how to do this. And the person's like, mm. so now you're left like, I gave you a partnership role and you're really not a partner. You're really more like an employee. And that's something we have to evaluate too. Also desperation around money. Sometimes we can bring people in because they come with money. And we're like, well, I want your money. So I'm going to bring you in. But you can create rules around that money that doesn't mean that they have equal say as you. You can create a partnership structure where they're a silent investor. They have minority stake in the company 
and not a partner that is sharing the decisions and all the rest things. So that's my two cents on that. <laughs> I like that. And what you're saying is about that, having the same vision, getting back to this idea of a lifelong partnership, whether you call it marriage yeah, or whatever, it's sure. like making sure you are focused on what the future looks like. Yeah. And being flexible and both of you all being like, okay, this can also change. But I think if you're headed in the same direction, generally, that is probably going to be more helpful than not. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Sidebar, I am not a fan of partnerships. So everyone that calls me and is like, what should I do? I'm always like, don't do it. Always. Every advice I always give is don't take the partner. I always say instead, take them on as a contractor or as an employee. Mm, okay. And they're like, oh, well, why? They're doing it with me. Mm-mm. Unless you were literally sitting there with them, cutting the idea and you both had the lightning idea moment at the same exact human time, don't do it. If it was your idea, you brought it to them and they had some contributions, hire them. Don't partner with them. Mm. Because hiring employee, you know, you can let them go if it's not working out. Yes, you'll have to pay them, but that's a whole lot easier. Finding some way to pay a salary or even asking if they're willing to take no salary in the beginning until you make some money or whatever agreement you can come up with. There's a better way to get to joining in business with this person without legally partnering with them. Like that's a lot because you're legally splitting in half or whatever this delineation is with this other person, this entire business structure. And you have no concept of how they're going to behave when it's time to do business. What if it's busy season and you've been packing orders all night, your fingertips are bleeding and they went home and went to bed. You would be upset. Why are you not sharing any responsibilities? <laughs> when they sat there with you and dig up your idea and had all these other additional ideas, you could be like, actually... I'd like to hire you as a contractor, consultant. Will you come and work with me? You can be my COO, but they don't have to be a partner. Right. <laughs> That's excellent advice because like you said, it's your idea and no one's ever going to love your idea the way you love your idea. Sure won't. And they're not going to be that committed to it. When this gets hard, they're going to be like, hmm. They're going to exit and you're going to be looking around like, what happened? I thought you were in this with me. Yeah. Like, yeah, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Shyla, it's been great chatting with you. I have two questions I always yeah. ask my guests. The first one is, what are one or two songs that are on your power playlist and oh. why? Oh, yeah. Anything Beyonce has ever written or sang ever in life. And it doesn't <laughs> matter. Point and shoot. Just close your eyes and point and all of them will apply. More recently on the Renaissance album, I think Alien Superstar is such a beautiful ode, self-love. I think we don't do that enough right now. I think culturally, especially Black women, there's like this all-out assault on Black women right now, specifically from us, the Black men that I do not understand. But I think in that space, we could do something really beautiful with this. We could come together for each other. We can come together for ourselves. And I think as much as you can surround yourself with that energy and love, it'll be out there for sure. So Pink Sweats is a young artist. He's not somebody that a lot of people know. But she has a song with this other artist called Blast and the song is called For Me. And it's such a brilliant ballad just about like, what is for me will be for me. I don't need to fight and worry about anybody else and anybody else got what is for me will be. It's mine. That's literally the hook. It's mine. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to fight for it. I don't need to compete. I don't need to feel in competition with anybody else. What is for me will be mine. And if you could really honor that, your life starts to look so much more beautiful because you're seeing it happen all around you. If a door closes, you're like, yes, okay. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you're rubbing on stones. 
praying to Allah, Buddha, Hare Krishna, doesn't matter. The point still remains that what is for me will be for me. That way I don't have to lead and beg and fight and cry. No, it will work out. And what doors close needed to close. And what doors open are opening for you. Walk through them. So those are my choices. I love that. I'm going to check that song out. I feel like the only competition is yourself. That's it. That's it. Compete to be better every day. I love the idea of the song. What is one book that you feel has helped you thrive in business? There, there are so many. I'm not at my original office. I'm at home. But if I were, I was like an entire bookshelf of workbooks. I love books. For somebody that didn't grow up in tech, I don't have any tech experience. I never worked for a tech company a day in my life. Books have been the bridge to knowledge that I have needed. There are so many, specifically because I am in tech and I didn't know a lot about venture capital when I started raising money. So Venture Deals was a beautiful book. It reads Mm -hmm. like a Bible for venture capitalism to understand how to raise money, how to position yourself to be prepared to raise money, how to understand deals as you see them, as they come into you so you know how to negotiate the right terms for yourself. It's just so good. I I don't remember who wrote it. I never know the author's names offhand, but Another one is True North. It's a blue book and it comes with a workbook too. Ultimately, it really helps you understand and reframe how you're doing the work you're doing. Sometimes the idea takes on this other life and you start forgetting why you started the company in the first place because you get wrapped up in the day-to-day. But if you keep your True North like the main thing, the main thing, you always can shoot for that when the mud gets thick. That has been a really great workbook and just me always checking on and keeping the main thing. As you lead people to, you're constantly having to drive your team back to the company's true north so that they all know what they're driving toward. If you're going to lead a group of people forward, you've got to give them something to follow consistently. And it can't just be here, do this task. Sooner or later, people are going to get bored. People don't galvanize around work. They galvanize around people. They're looking to you because they like you. They don't care about the job. (laughs) They're like, whatever task you're going to give me. But I like you. I think you could lead me to the next thing. And so True North is a really good book in that sense. The Startup Boards is a great book for the first time in actually running board meetings. And I have a board of advisors, a board of directors, and I didn't know how to run a board meeting. My first board meeting, I was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Thank God my board is so nice and they're just laughing at me, but I didn't know what I was doing. Reading that book was definitely okay. Now I feel like I can come into it a little more prepared. So please read more books, no matter what you're doing, what your industry is. Take the time to find a handful of books that you can noodle around all year long. Even if you're audio booking it, take that information and it really can be a game changer. Great. I love that. Read more books. That's my takeaway. I love (laughs) books. I have my whole bookshelf. I'm constantly have a couple of books either on ebook, audio book, or on my nightstand. So I'm always read a book. So I love you giving me several to go check out. Well, Shiloh, if folks want to know more about you, want to know more about Compliant, how can they find you? So you can find Compliant every platform, Compliant app, APP. You can find us on the website at Compliant, C-O-M-P-L-Y-A-N-T dot C-O. It's Y instead of I. So we're just Google search with a Y and you'll find us. Me personally, I'm on every platform at Shiloh Johnson. It's the same handle on every platform. So that I'm easy to find. I spend probably most of my time on Twitter. But yeah, you can find me everywhere, LinkedIn, Instagram, all the things. Well, great, Shiloh. It has been a pleasure talking with you. And I'm excited to see what happens next with Compliant. Oh, thank you so much. This has been fun. All right, take care. 
you for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. If you like this episode, share it with a friend and then join the conversation on social media and let us know what you learned or what resonated for you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep thriving.